from the era that brought you names like Chamberlain, Russell, and West. To Chamberlain, he's got it! Jerry West made it from the other side of the mid-court strike! To the glory days of Magic and Kareem. And Magic Johnson is out there celebrating! Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is on the brink of an NBA all-time record. A time where last-second shots were expected. Here comes Kobe. From way outside. Got it! Oh, man! Gets it to LeBron. For three for the win! Yes! And rings were handed out like candy. Here's Jordan. Yes. It's Duncan Dynasty with your host, Garrett Bougay, and it starts right now. Welcome to another episode of Duncan Dynasty. I'm your host, Garrett Bouguet, and this week I've got a special non-basketball episode with a, a very special guest. He's a, a dear friend of mine, and uh, he is uh, as passionate about video games as I am about basketball or, or just about anything. But uh, his name is uh, Matt Murray. Matt, thanks so much for, for coming on. Glad to be here. I uh, hope to do that introduction proud. Uh, you're pretty passionate about basketball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, for this episode, we're going to be breaking down the year of 2020 in video games. Uh, it wasn't a great year for a lot of things, but uh, seemingly it was it was a pretty pretty good year for uh, for this medium. Am I correct? Yeah, I think this is my favorite year in games probably since at least 2015. I think. Yeah, it's. Uh, I uh, I personally uh, was able to defeat three sequels in 2020, which uh, is is quite a rare feat for me. Uh, but uh, we have um, both uh, personally come up with uh, lists of uh, five games each, plus some honorable mentions that we're gonna we're gonna bring up and and talk about. And uh, so so Matt, why don't you? Why don't you get us underway with uh, with one of your first five games? Yeah, the first game I have at number five, it's funny because it's probably going to be the hardest one to explain. Uh, it's Bug Fables, The Everlasting Sapling. Okay, I, I, have, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess I'll start off. It is a spiritual successor to the Paper Mario series. Um... I think the closest thing to Paper Mario you've put thorough time into is South Park, The Stick of Truth. Oh, yes. Uh, yeah, so you know how that's turn-based combat, but then while you're doing your attacks, you can press buttons and move the stick to get more, more damage off, and then you can defend while the enemy's attacking you. Uh, that's a very... It's a Paper Mario system, basically. So Bug Fables is... A spiritual successor to that, because we haven't had a Paper Mario that played like that in about 15 years, 16 years. Um, so, it made it onto my list because, for one, it's the most shocking game for me this year, or the most pleasant surprise, I guess is a better way of putting it. Um, you know, we live in this age where a lot of old video game, beloved old video games are being revived constantly. Like every month you can look on Kickstarter and find the successor to something. I never ever thought we could have a good, like, low budget indie successor to Paper Mario. Uh, not so much the gameplay, I feel like that's probably pretty relatively easy to replicate, but it's more so the writing and the characters. 
Paper Mario really lives and dies by its, mostly its sense of humor, though it can get kind of serious at times. Um, and the game just it kills it. It kills the writing. The three main characters each have such different but well-defined personalities, and the way their relationships evolve throughout the game, it's some, honestly it's some of the best writing I've seen this year, period. Um, but yeah, for just this indie, cute little bug RPG, it's insane. Yeah, the, um, the, the stick of truth, one of the things that I remember fondly about that game was the, the writing and some of the dialogue and everything, and, and um, I don't want to suggest that the gameplay was not fun because it was, but it is a you know that style is a bit repetitive. So having that that fun dialogue just just adds so much to to a game like that. Right, and yeah, South Park really lived and died by its writing, which makes sense. I mean, it's South Park. Um, yeah. Well, what's also funny too is just how well the game is able to. You know, most Nintendo games are made for children. And I say that as someone that loves Nintendo games, uh, they're mostly made for kids to be able to play them. Um, so with Bug Fables, it genuinely feels like they grew up playing the Paper Mario games and wanted to do like a more slightly more complex take on the system. So yeah, South Park, yes, the battles were my least favorite part of that game. They were still fun, but yeah, they, they were just a tad too simple. Um, yeah. And this game, you once you have all three party members, which is within the first hour or two, every battle you do has all three, and the way you're able to mix and match and build your party, it is. And I, I can't, I don't want to get too into the weeds because you really could, but uh, you can make these crazy builds where it's like every time an enemy attacks one of your characters, the other characters get mad because it's like their best friend. Um, you can do all these kind of things where you're boosting stats with the two other characters and you're basically putting everything onto one character and then he just becomes a steamroller um it's honestly like one of the best Japanese RPG style battle systems I've ever played personally it's the most customizable from an early point of the game that I can think of um yeah no it it is an incredibly well done game the other thing I really wanted to mention about it, uh, besides the battle system and the writing, is there's this moment where early on in the game you have to cross this desert. And I really, I was like, why are these bugs crossing a desert? It doesn't really make sense. Um, you cross the desert, you get to this town, and then you, it's the town at, at the base of a tree, and then the, there's like a, a beehive kingdom that you go to at the top of the tree. So when you go up there, oh, and the bees are the most technologically advanced race in the game for some reason. Oh, of, of course. Uh, yeah. So you go up to the bee kingdom, and there's this entirely optional, missable moment where on like a tree branch they have like this uh, porch set up or gazebo set up, and there's a, uh, a telescope. And if you look through the telescope, you can see like the path you just came down. So you can see the ant kingdom where you started, and you can even see the, the desert cross. But when you're up in the air and viewing it from a telescope, it's not a desert, it's a sandbox, because you're actually in the backyard of, like, a human. Ah. And, yeah, 
So I think there's there's hints throughout before that moment that that's what's happening, but that like I actually gasped. <laughs> uh, I, I don't want to oversell it because it's still a very simple looking game, uh, but it was I don't know just that moment made me feel like the world was so interconnected and it was such a neat feeling that I don't really get that often with any game, let alone something like this. Uh, yeah, no, that was one of my favorite moments of the year, uh, game wise. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's always fun when a game can sort of uh, change your perspective like that. That's like what game should game some stories should be doing that kind of thing. It's something that's so uniquely suited to the medium. You don't really see that taken advantage of too often. Yeah, I should I should reiterate that we haven't like ranked these. So we're not going from five to one. We're we're essentially just picking. Uh, we we've essentially just picked five games. A lot of these are going to be some of my favorites, um, and I'm sure a few of a few of these that you're mentions are are going to be in your eventual game of the year list that you do every year. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, would you say that that one in particular would probably be like a, a top 10 level game for you, or is that, you know, not quite making that level? Uh, all, yeah, all the games on this list are top 10. I think all the games on this list are... Now, my list won't actually be ordered when it comes out. It just... won't even get into that. But, um... These are all. These are four of my top five, basically, because these are just the ones I kind of wanted to talk about the most, anyway. Okay, cool. Well, yeah, I'll uh, I'll get to my first one, and uh, that is a game that I know you just uh, you just played and beat recently. Uh, so that is uh, Carrion, and uh, this is. This is quite an interesting game, and I actually uh, I actually found out about this game by watching the YouTube channel Super Eye Patch Wolf. Which uh, I know you have, uh, you and another friend of ours have had recommended to me over the years, and uh, he actually had this uh, this game listed on his favorite things of winter 2020. And essentially, you play as this uh, I don't know how you would describe it, but this giant tentacle monster, I suppose. Yeah, I'd say it's um, just like a writhing ball of meat. <laughs> Yeah, and you can, uh, um, to move around, you actually use your tentacles and you can, you can grab the ceiling or the wall and kind of pull your body up with you. Uh, but, uh, one of the things that Super Eyepatch Wolf mentioned in the video is just, you know, how satisfying, how good it feels to move around as the monster, and I absolutely loved it. The game just is, is, uh so fun to just maneuver around the, the spaces and you're kind of in like a metroidvania type of environment right where you've got these tiny crevices to kind of squeeze through yeah um yeah it's funny literally the first note i have is like in all caps the movement is great uh, <laughs> <laughs> it is the game lives and dies completely by how satisfying it is to move, and it's impossible to explain without visuals just how weird it is, but I guess I would describe the movement, it's like grace mixed with clumsiness. <laughs> uh, like At times I feel like I'm just like spinning out of control and just whirling all around, but there, there are some stuff we'll get to in a little bit with it that I didn't like with the movement, 
but yeah, the first like two thirds of the game, it was a revelation. It's one of the best feeling games I've played this entire year. Yeah, as as you uh, as you move along in the story, you actually continue to just get bigger and bigger as a creature, and like um, I, I should say too that one of the main goals of the game is you're essentially you know stalking prey stalking humans and some some uh, humans that are in machines at various times uh and so it's very like uh hotline miami-esque in that you're going into like a new room and you have to sort of um figure out the best way to attack the uh the, the people that are in the area right it's almost like a stealth puzzle game sort of Except yeah again like you're a horror abomination um, I, I don't think you played this game. I haven't played it in over ten years. It most reminded me of uh, was Way of the Ninja, I think. Mark of the Ninja. Okay. Um, they, they just remastered it. Um, it's maybe the best stealth game I've ever played. Uh, but that's what this most reminded me of. Uh, just yeah, especially it's weird because I feel like this game more than any other I can think of recently. I had way 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 more fun in the beginning and I think that was because of the discovery process and figuring out what I could do and how I could do it uh, that first I'm sorry to jump around I don't know <laughs> exactly what your notes were on it but the most satisfying part of the game to me was the you can shoot the tentacle and take control of things yeah the, uh, the parasitism yeah and I don't know if you reached this. I know we talked before recording that you hadn't quite beaten it yet. I, th I think this happens twice, so maybe you got to it. But there's this moment where... And another thing I should mention about this game. I think a lot of the puzzles, or the stealth section puzzles, are solvable in pretty much any way you can manage. But clearly, in these two rooms, there's this optimal way of... You want to stealthily take control of one person and then get them up to a mech and then you get in the mech and you just destroy everything in the entire vicinity. And it is very, very satisfying. That doesn't even really begin to describe it. It is just complete chaos and it feels extremely good. Yeah, I, um, I'm glad you, you brought that up. Uh, yeah, there, there are moments too where you'll be, uh, yeah, you take over somebody and it's just a room. There's no machines or anything, but you just slowly walk up a ladder to where the other two people are and shoot them right in the face. <laughs> uh, I don't know what that says about me that I enjoyed that so much, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, um, it, it's very fun. And yeah, the uh, it's it's interesting that you said, yeah, you were kind of enjoying more of the 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 early bits of the game because as as you go you get bigger and bigger and you develop more and more more and more skills uh at, at, yeah at one point you get invisibility at another point you get as you said the the parasitism skill uh you also get like these um spikes that uh, you can shoot at things and kind of um, pull them away uh but yeah the Speaking of, again, going back to the movement, as you get bigger and bigger, that's where the movement started to get a little bit more complicated because um, when you were, you know, say you've got, you're, you're crawling along the bottom of the screen and there's a couple of pathways going upwards, 
because you're so long <laughs> towards the end, when you press up, sometimes he would go towards the, you know, the back end of the monster's body would go up towards the wrong, uh, you know, pathway, which was sometimes frustrating. Yeah, it was almost a relief to me when I'd find the little pools of water and, and you could deposit chunks of yourself. I was like, oh, thank God, that can be the small thing and be invisible now. <laughs> yeah, um, but the, the game, I thought, did a really neat job of um, sometimes forcing you to, to make those deposits. Again, yeah, when, whenever you get a pool of water, you can release some of your body, which is essentially some of your health bar. Uh, but it, it gives you the ability, depending on how much health you have, then you have different skills. So sometimes you need to drop off a chunk of yourself to be able to go invisible to get through an area. Or um, there's also a way to, when you're, when you're at your smallest, you shoot like a web that allows you to um, use the web to hit like uh, um, switches that open doors and, and various things. But... Yeah, I, I, uh, I've really enjoyed it. Again, yeah, I haven't beaten it yet, but I plan on beating it here, or playing it more and beating it soon. But, you know, also the, the soundtrack is really good. I, it's very eerie and sort of unsettling. Yes, I'm glad you mentioned that because I had scrolled past it on accident. Just the sound design in general is fantastic. You're so... The thing you play is just so squelchy and meaty. <laughs> uh, the various screams that the humans you kill those are all good um, yeah I mean it's almost like um, like uh, the thing the game yeah you know, it is the thing the game and it's apparently not very good but it's basically that yeah so uh, yeah that uh, carry in a game I definitely uh, recommend a fun little game a, you know a game that's what around 20 bucks on the switch uh you know something pretty pretty cheap and affordable so yeah real fun time so yeah let's let's move on to the the next game on your list okay uh the next game i had was streets of rage 4 um okay this is in my uh this is in my honorable mentions gotcha and yeah i know we we played this together online during lockdown yeah technically still kind of in lockdown (laughs) yeah Uh, (laughs) It is... I don't really have that much to say about it, so I'm glad that we both played this one. Um, Aside from saying that, for one, I think it's the best beat-em-up ever made. Like, hands down. Agreed. Just everything about it is pitch perfect. Um, In fact, I'll even just get the one negative out of the way. Literally, the only complaint I have is that you can't play as the boxing kangaroo uh, from Streets of Rage 3, but he does make cameos so that's good um, in a year that was this packed of fantastic games and especially a year this packed with such amazing game soundtracks including uh, Paper Mario and the Origami King which is beautiful and Final Fantasy 7 Remake which is maybe the best video game music soundtrack I've heard in terms of its scope and scale and budget uh, in years Streets of Rage 4 has hands down the best soundtrack of this year. And again, I don't even think it's that close. Um, I, and also, so not to name drop all these other games in one thing, this may be controversial in the year where Ori and the Will of the Wisps came out. I think Streets of Rage 4 is the best looking game that came out this year too. It is just all around 
it is the best beat em up I've ever played. And it's not, there's no contest. Yeah. I, I, you know, I've been playing uh, Scott Pilgrim, just remastered, or not remastered, just Definitive Edition just came out the other day. Gotta be honest with you, not liking it a whole lot besides the aesthetic. Wow, yeah, I remember we, we played that back in the day, but I mean, that's been, it's been what, like, like 10 close years, 10 years, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was really looking forward to that, and all I can think while playing that is like, wow, I'd rather just play Streets of Rage 4 again. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, I should, one thing I do want to note that I can uh, express is that it's the only beat-em-up I've played in probably... A decade plus where you just have all your abilities and moves from the get-go. There's no shop, you're not buying anything, you're not upgrading your health or moves or anything. It just, everything is there from the get-go, aside from characters you can unlock, but, uh, and you're just, you're just going. It is maybe the most satisfying beat-em-up combat. I would say it's one of the best combat systems in, in any game I've ever played. Yeah, uh, it's, it's... It's amazing because, you know, as you said, you, you have all of your moves from the start and, uh, you know, it's it's not that complicated. There's a base attack and there's a special, essentially, and, uh, you know, there's, uh, if you get close enough to the enemy, you can throw them, but uh, it's fun because you can, even just with those, essentially the two buttons, the main attack and the special, you can do so many different things. There's a there's a low attack, there's a high attack, there's a, you know, and there's a jump attack and there's like a jump special as well. I remember I was the, I forget what the guy's name is, the big dude with the arms, kind of like Jax from Mortal Kombat. Yeah, uh, I forget his name too, but I know Axel. Axel, yes. Um, I remember we were, when we were doing a, a combo run, I was doing, like, his jump special, and you were, like, marveling at, oh, yeah, I've never done his jump special, and that's pretty cool. But it is fun that, like, you know, two people can have the, play the same game and discover completely different moves. It's, it's, it's really great. Right, and again, to emphasize, like, it is super simple. Like, it's just an arcade brawler. Like, yeah, there's literally, you got three buttons, I think. I think it's just... Attack, jump, and special, and yeah, it's it was a revelation. I was not expecting to even think Streets of Rage Four was going to be good, let alone this good. Um, I never thought I would have beat him up ever again on my top ten list, let alone in my top five. And I'm a huge Streets of Rage fan too. Um, two and three in particular were like some of my earliest childhood memories. Uh, yeah, Streets of Rage Four is out of this world good and way better than I thought it ever could be. Yeah, just is in terms of beat 'em ups there there haven't been too many that I've ever played that I actually, you know, I love playing beat 'em ups as a multiplayer experience, but there's been very few that I actually enjoy playing solo, but this is an exception to that. You know, I put several hours I I did quite a few playthroughs of this on my own, which which is saying something to just how good as you said the music, the the, the, how satisfying the combat is. It's, it's really terrific. And I did, I did just have one more note on this. And uh, I, I think it might be level two, but you get into this room where uh, you've got a bunch of enemies that are holding, I don't even know exactly what the weapon is, but they're like these long skewers 
but all of the all of the enemies that are holding like a weapon of some kind, those guys that just have a little knife out in front of them, or uh, you know the, the specifically that room where you've got a bunch of people with skewers. That's that's where the game to me is was the most challenging and, and sometimes frustrating. Yes, I think that was like Chinatown, which is like, yeah, like halfway through the game or something. I think. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, it's like you go enter a dojo and there's like three rooms in a row where there's just like a billion dudes and they all have weapons. Um, yeah, and I can see that. Um, yeah, I thank you for bringing up the single player thing because yeah, I think that's my issue with Scott Pilgrim. Like me and my fiance Natasha, we played the first two levels and we we're just like, <laughs> and then yeah, I was playing Street Fighter Four about a month ago to refresh my memories just by myself and I was having a blast I mean when the game was new like in the spring or summer of 2020 I was doing not speedruns but like score runs and I'd never do stuff like that in any game so that's really a testament to you know, just how good I think that game is but yes like any beat up there is some cheapness I guess for lack of a better word like I guess that's just kind of baked into the DNA of that genre. Um, but yeah, there aren't too many instances I can think of. It's usually yeah, when there's like more than... It's either when there's like two bosses or too many bosses or yeah, like eight dudes. Then it's it can get a bit much. Yeah. Well, yeah, I... Um, as I said, I, I had that in my honorable benches as well. We we put a decent amount of hours into that together. That was, that was uh, one of my favorite multiplayer experiences of the year. So really... Uh, really great game, and uh, yeah, let's let's move on to my next one, and this is the game that you uh, uh, perhaps controversially stated uh, Streets of Rage 4 might look better than, but uh, my next game is Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and uh, um, we haven't actually talked since I, since I beat this, so I'm excited to share my thoughts with you, but... Uh, frankly, this is, this is my favorite platformer since Donkey Kong Tropical Freeze. I absolutely loved it. Uh, I think it's pretty much superior to to the original, which was uh, you know Ori in the Blind Forest in, in just about every conceivable way. Uh, you know they they incorporate the combat elements, which you know adds not only an additional challenge, but it also I thought really um, you know added a nice variety to uh, to the boss battles. Yeah. Uh, yes, I agree wholeheartedly. I'm someone, I'm going to say this, I know I'm going to say this about another game on your list that we'll get to at some point, wasn't as big a fan of the first game as most people are, which isn't to say I think Blind Force is bad. I, it's still like an 8 out of 10. I'm just, I don't think it was the masterpiece that most people made it out to be. Yeah. I, I do think this is like, if not quite masterpiece, it's like right there. Um, yeah, this is definitely in my top 10 for the year. Um, yeah, it's what's interesting to me is having played a lot of Metroidvanias over the years is just how much they took from Hollow Knight, which I personally think is the best Metroidvania ever made, bar none. And it turns out when you just take what was good about Ori in the Blind Forest, which is namely how it looks and how good the platforming feels, and then you give it combat that isn't garbage and then you add in the little uh, pomp and frills of Hollow Knight which 
mostly was the skill system. I like that they got rid of the skill tree from Blind Forest and they just had it as equipable badges so you could more easily just do what you want with your character at will. Um, it, it made a fantastic game. It, it is... I played it on PC when it came out back in March and I just... I finished it and I just, just kind of hit on it. And then I came back to it uh, on Switch when it was on sale a couple weeks or a month ago. I'm like, yeah, I want to give this another shot. And I was blown away. I don't know if I've ever had this big of a turnaround uh, in such a short time span on my opinion on a game. Interesting, yeah. It, um, the, 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 other, uh, the other aspect I thought of the original that I was happy they kept is they kept a lot of the chase sequences that you mm-hmm. go through. And uh, I remember I was... Uh, I was texting you about the chase sequence with the evil frog, Quolock. I guess I should say, Quolock is not... Yeah, no, 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 he's not evil. He's not normally evil, but he gets essentially possessed. <laughs> um, and so during the chase, he's the evil frog, Quolock. But uh, I remember I texted you saying, like, wow, this chase seems really difficult, and it was because I hadn't hadn't gotten the ability yet from the water area. Uh and uh, so as soon as I got that ability, I was able to beat the beat that chase on my first try. But I spent a good thirty to forty five minutes just uh, trying to beat a chase that was impossible without the the uh, the skill from that uh, water area. So and this this will touch. I agree with all the chase sequences. I think are even better than they were in the first game. I think they're less difficult, but they're no less satisfying than they were in the first game. Yeah. Which is no no mean either because those are easily the highlights of the first game too um i just found yet the readability of what you're supposed to do in those chase sequences were just a lot easier to see in this game than in the first game having said that my main issue with this game was outside of the the chase sequences like just the normal platforming there are times and i think this is just an artifact of the art itself like, it's hard for me to tell sometimes, I don't know if this is due to Ori's size or how uh, how glowy he is, where, oh, I didn't realize I was about to touch those spikes. Oh, I just oh. I hit three times in a row because I just bumped into some spikes that I didn't realize I was that close to. Yeah. Um, and I, w- I will say, it never became an issue because the checkpointing is so generous, like, I can't think of one instance where I died and I wasn't like within five feet of where I died. Um, right. And also, they give you so much health in the game. Uh, I don't think I even 100%ed it. Maybe I did. I still had a lot of health. But I never. the only time I ever needed it was to not get killed by those accidental spike bumps. So <laughs> yeah. it almost felt to me like it was like a band-aid over the fact that like, hey, we don't have quite the visual clarity we would like. Um, it, I say all this, it's pretty nitpicky. It never hampered my enjoyment in the slightest. It was at most it was like, Ugh, okay, whatever, I'll do this again real quick. Yeah. Um, that's literally the only complaint I have about this game. Yeah, I um, yeah, I, I was, I was, uh, you know. Again, minorly frustrated with uh, with with that as well throughout. But but yeah, as far as the 
As far as the boss battles, uh, my my favorite that I can remember was uh, when you battle the the mother spider. I really enjoyed that that sequence, and you are essentially you know not only having to attack the the giant spider, but then she's sending all her spiderlings as well on the floor at you. Uh, and then you know you've got walls on each side, so it feels pretty claustrophobic. But you can use those to jump off and. Um, try to get over the top of the the mother spider, but yeah, that that whole sequence and pr- pretty much, you know, I I have no complaints about really any of the the boss fights. I thought they were all fun, but that one in particular, I thought was was uh, was quite enjoyable. Yeah, I think I agree with that. From what I remember, I mean, I just played this a month ago. You think I would remember? But um, when when it came to the weapons, and I totally forgot to touch on this, like just how many different. They're not all weapons, but they're, like, magic and stuff. Um, I know you get, like, the sword equivalent, like, the fast slashing. That's your first weapon. Did you ever mess around with the hammer that much? No, I did not. And, yeah, the the reason I ask is because I was never super into the sword equivalent. I'll just call it the sword. Um, But then... On a lark, I just switched to the hammer. I think I accidentally put it on the same button as the sword and didn't realize it for a second, and then all of a sudden I always swing this giant hammer around. Um, I just like that hammer a lot more than the sword. And then, specifically, I just found that spider boss way more satisfying when you're just hitting it, hitting it with a giant like glowing spirit mallet instead of a little sword. Um, but yeah, I, I do, I, I, I totally forgot to mention it, it's in my notes, that the different weapons are all mostly really cool. Um, if you like the bad combat in the first game, you can even have that, because one of them is the equivalent of the orb behind you in the first game, and it fires on its own. I don't know why anyone would want that, but it's there. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it's, the combat was great. Um. It almost felt like a little Devil May Cry mini game. I don't know, it's weird. Um, and I'll also say, the story, I got pretty messed up with the <laughs> I Yeah. Was, uh, I finished it uh, when Natasha, she was playing Animal Crossing, I think, and I was just sitting next to her on my Switch light, and she paused what she was doing to like, look at what was happening, and we were both just sitting on the couch crying, and... Uh, <laughs> And the way it tied together the first two games, too, was very, very good. It was very, very... I did not expect it at all. Yeah, it uh, it hits a lot of those emotional beats, and, and yeah, there's just a lot of... There's a lot of cute stuff in the game. There's uh, there's these uh, these creatures called Moki, or Moki, I don't know how you pronounce it, but they're essentially like a meerkat or a lemur-like sort of creature. Um <laughs> But, uh, yeah, they, they say the cutest things. There was, uh, I remember near the end when, um, uh, when you've pretty much accomplished everything, you walk up to one and uh, you, you can talk to them, and uh, one of the Vokis says, uh, and again, uh, all of their dialogue is said over subtitle, and then you know, pretty much every creature you talk to, it's said over subtitle, and they're speaking in some different language, a, a cute, adorable language. Um, but uh, one of the Moki said, I heard a big tentacle monster was blocking the big wheel and you defeated it. 
That is funny. So funny. How can a little spirit fight a big tentacle monster? You could not. <laughs> but yeah, you know, there's there's just a, a bunch of little uh, adorable moments like that. But yeah, it um, it's uh, going back to like the abilities that you mentioned. Um, yeah, you get like uh, as you go through each area, you develop through um, accessing the ancestral trees. You get abilities and the various abilities like there's one that's a you know a ground smash that was my personal favorite there's another one that's a launch that allows you to shoot yourself like you're a projectile that allowed you to allows you to get to different areas but um it's funny because again you can only with the four buttons you can only utilize certain abilities at the same time so there would be moments where i'm switching between lawn the launch ability and the ground smash and, you know, you'd, you'd be in a situation where you'd forget that you had switched it, and I'd jump in the air thinking, oh, I'm about to launch as a projectile, and then he brings out, uh, or he, he smashes into the ground or into spikes. It's like, oh, dang it. Um, yeah. th- there are moments like that that are like, oh, shoot, I, yeah, I wish I was able to have both of these on at the same time. Yeah, that, it's funny, too, because you'd think, you know, with the four shoulder buttons that you could have more. But yeah, I think all four of those shoulder buttons are used. I'm trying to remember. I know R is like your dash. Yeah, I don't remember. But for such a cute and good-looking game, it's almost cuphead-ish in terms of, like, it does hide some of its complexity. Um, It's definitely a very uh, menu-heavy game, in a way, with the constant switching. It almost reminds me of a Zelda game in that way. Um, yeah, and then, yeah, with you bringing up the Mokis and stuff, I totally forgot. Yeah, the first game had, like, almost no NPCs, basically, and this game has a whole hub town, and you can spend, uh, you collect ore throughout the game, and you can, like, repair the town and build huts for the Mokis, and, uh, the music in that town is very good, it feels like home. Um, it is better than the first game in every single way. Oh, and another thing. The way it looks, you know, I already thought the first game looked good, but if you go back to that first game now, it's like, what am I looking at? The second game is astoundingly beautiful. It's one of the best looking games I've ever seen, period. Um, Especially the water area and just the colors and the way they they hit you is absolutely astounding. It almost makes me bad that I played it on Switch. I kind of wish I had like a Xbox Series X or something to play it in 4K. I can't even imagine how much better that looks. But, yeah, uh, the um the the area you brought up where yeah you you pay a a guy named Grom who's a Gorlock essentially like a, a repairman to you you collect um, ore uh, throughout the the world. So it's it's fun. Not only are you uh, it, it gives you plenty of things to, to find throughout all of the levels, but then, yeah, you can bring them back, and, yeah, that, that main area, the Wellspring Glades, is is essentially your home base. There's also a guy named Tully that you bring seeds to, and he plants flowers and things around the area, um, and there's there's really heartwarming music. But, yeah, the, the other thing that you collect as well are these spirit shards, which that's kind of, I think, what you were referring to where you're kind of... Um, you're, you're going to the menu and changing quite frequently because you've got, uh, I think there are close to like 30 or, or so spirit shards throughout the game, and 
you eventually are able to have eight working all at once, um, but sometimes you're you're kind of switching back and forth. But some of the some of the spirit shards are, are um, like that you would get ones like an, a magnet, which if you if you had played the first game, you'd know that that allows the orbs or whatever collectibles to to basically fly right to you. I I immediately snagged the triple jump as soon as I had the 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 coins to get it. That that's a big one. Um, uh, obviously, the sticky uh, spirit shard where you can stick and climb on walls is is pretty essential. The, never came off for me. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, they, they have a bunch of interesting ones. One's like a deflector where you can, um, when you do a melee attack, you deflect enemy projectiles, which is super valuable. Another one that I use that you probably don't need as much because you're better at understanding video game language than I am, but... Uh, the the secret spirit shard where that where it makes secret walls uh, semi transparent. I did end up turning it on near the end when I was trying to hunt everything down. Yeah. Gotcha. It should also be mentioned most. I don't think quite all of them. Most of these can also be upgraded too by yes. paying money. Um, there's a lot of systems in this game. Uh, I I would say if Hollow Knight might be. As a, a leap too far, but if if someone really enjoyed Ori and the Will of the Wisps, I, Hollow Knight is kind of like this, but just way more brutal. That's how I would describe it. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I, I've heard you uh, you bring up Hollow Knight before. That's something that I personally have have not played, so I should check that out. Um, but yeah, the 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 other thing that that I wanted to mention too with this is um, beyond just a, I, I I had a couple of things that. First off, like um, a few of my favorite areas, one of them being the windswept wastes, which is the sand levels or the sand area. I found that to be so satisfying. You you dive into the sand and you're basically like a worm through the sand. Uh, and there's sort of like an Arabian Nights-esque soundtrack going on. Really cool stuff. And then also the Moldwood Depths prior to the fight with the giant mother spider. It's just this completely dark area that you have to actually hit these bugs that are like luminescent or whatever that allow you to traverse uh, the the depths of that region. Before you, you could get the, before you get the ability that gives you the ability to light your own light, that was... Some of the most stressful exploration I've ever done in any game ever. That was like Dark Souls levels of where the hell am I? How do I get out of here? This really sucks, but it's fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> like the, uh, the yeah, you, you already brought up that the water area just looks fantastic. I thought the ice area was really neat as well, where you have to yeah. basically heat everything up. Everything's frozen um, right. initially. Uh, but but yeah the my my final note I had on this was essentially like the the fact that you know at one point uh, you you team up with the owl that's your friend and that little short team up was really fun. Uh, I thought the pacing of the game was pretty excellent. Anytime I ever like began to feel bored of an area or annoyed or frustrated at a lack of ability, I would stumble upon a new place or stumble upon a new ability that. Um, that, that made the game feel fresh again. Right, yeah, it, the structure of it is almost Zelda-esque, where you get to a new area, you explore half of that area, 
kind of exhaust your options, then you get a new ability, and then you explore the second half of the area with that ability, and it completely usually changes your ability to traverse the environment in this game. Um, and yeah, that digging through the sand is yeah some of the most satisfying things in a game I've done this year. Very, very fun. Very good. Yeah, so we, we covered that extensively probably because I put basically 30 hours into that. So, <laughs> um, and, and yeah, for, for my personal list, that would be right up there near the top for me for, for Game of the Year out of what I've played. But uh, yeah, let's hear, uh, let's hear what's next on your list. Okay, awesome, because this is, this is the game that I have played the most of as of late in, in preparation for this. interesting combination of things yeah and I've never played that one I do want to it just it's the only one that isn't on Switch I own it on PS4 I don't have my PS4 anymore I moved to the other side of the planet um so it's nice that this one just clicked like I started this game at 2 in the morning on a night before I had to go to work and I was up till like 5 I could not stop playing this game for a solid like when I was at work, I was playing it. When I was in bed, I wasn't playing it. When I was basically supposed to be doing anything I was playing it. Um, and I guess just to try and give you a quick summary, or not you, but your listeners, you're playing as Prince Zagreus, the son of Hades, and you're literally just trying to escape Hades. That's, that's really it. Uh, I know that's a super simple uh, summation, and you can add on whatever you want to that. I know I talked for a few minutes. Uh, it really is that simple, and yet I these are by far my longest notes, by far. Yeah. Um, so yeah, the 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 one aspect of the just the the basic premise. So as Zagreus, you were born in hell, and uh, for pretty much everyone that's in hell, they're all dead. But technically, you're still alive because you were born there. Am I correct in, in that? I think so. I think in the same sense that, yeah, other gods are alive, you're alive, yeah. I think is the idea. So, again, the, the goal being that you're you're trying to 
to escape Hades, trying to escape hell. And uh, so so the game in in essence is pretty repetitive in that you're you're playing to, you know, try and escape and you're going up level by level to try to get out. And then every time you die, you're sent right back to your home base, essentially. Uh, but the, the game does an excellent job of making all of that repetitiveness fresh. They, they do that by having um, the dialogue with the characters that you talk to at home base always constantly changing. Uh, one of my favorite aspects is there's a, there's a guy named Hypnos that uh, every time you walk back in, he essentially explains or comments on your death. And uh, one of the first deaths that I have in the, had in the game was uh, when I encountered witches and they shot and killed me. And so I walk up to Hypnos and I say, hey, Hypnos, and he's like, hey, Saul, that the, the witches shot you. Have you tried shooting them first? <laughs> <laughs> I've literally never heard that line in dialogue. So. Yeah, and, and, uh, and then Zagreus says, uh, I haven't. Um, but yeah, there's, there's just a lot of funny stuff like that. And obviously, as you, as you go along uh, and on each trip that where you're attempting to get out of hell, you, you pick up items, gems, keys to unlock new stuff. So you're unlocking new weapons and... So, which again continues to make each experience feel uh, like it's your first time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so. Yeah, I'm glad you touched on the main thing I really want to touch on, which is so this game is classified as a roguelike. For people who don't know what a roguelike is, I won't get too into it. But the main defining quality of roguelikes is the idea of permadeath. Of like, okay, I died halfway through this. I'm done. I'm back at the beginning. I have to start all over. Um, I feel like roguelikes are something most people, you either absolutely adore them or you just hate them. Uh, I tend to be one that loves them, or at least the ones that I love, I really, really love. Because Spelunky is one of those, correct? Which is one of your favorites. And and we will get to that. The way Hades circumvents... Because so many people get discouraged about that. Of like, oh, well, I I didn't make any progress. No, you did make progress, you made it further. Like, you're playing the game. That is progression. It just doesn't feel like it necessarily. But the way Hades circumvents that is that the narrative advances when you die. So, a problem I find with every roguelike is how they go about teaching you that you're supposed to die. Me and Natasha just played a demo the other day for this other roguelike game. And it did such a poor job of explaining to you that, no, you're going to die. You collect as many gems as you can, then die, and then spend the gems to level up. It's a concept that makes sense, it just it wasn't explained well. So, yeah, Hades, you are going to die. I think it took me, like, 25 runs to actually beat Hades the first time. Um, but I learned something new, like, on every single run, whether it be about, uh, God, there's so much we haven't even explained on this game. Um, <laughs> whether it be about my weapons, the boons I'm picking up, um, just the, the different status effects that you can inflict or have inflicted upon you. Um, I never, ever once was like upset that I died. And that was mostly because of how good the writing is, how good the characters are. 
just how fun it is to listen to them talk. Um, it also doesn't hurt that like a, any run of Hades is probably not going to be longer than half an hour. Maybe in the beginning it'd be more like 40 minutes, but once you've played enough, I think usually I beat it in 25 minutes now. Um, it is remarkable. It, it is as good as the game is, and the game is very, very good, that that loop of advancing the narrative even when you've quote-unquote failed is remarkable, and I can't believe, I can't think of any other game that's ever done that. I can't think of a single one, and it's incredible that no one did until now. Yeah. Um, this, this game is the closest thing to gaming addiction I have ever experienced. Um, sure. You know, like, I have... I've generally tried to avoid the the types of games that just like sort of suck you in where you feel like you can't stop like the you know back in the day the World of Warcrafts crafts or the you know Diablo type games um, you know and and part of the reason I have never really been into those is because you're uh, you know because in, in essence they are very repetitive but also because of that aspect of just kind of getting sucked in and you know we We've um, we've talked in the past how in general I think I am slower at uh, at playing and progressing through games than you are. But like just the other night I had a run that felt like I, I think it was close to it took me about fifty minutes to get through it. Um, so it, it's weird too because you obviously don't want to stop in the middle of a run because then you lose your progress, all of that sort of thing. Um, you know. And you don't also want to just like give yourself up and just immediately die if you don't have to, but the the game is is really fascinating and and yeah the you know going through the the last thing I accomplished with the game and I've probably put close to ten hours into it I think I've done you know close to twenty runs at this point is like the 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 weapons are are so so fascinating and uh, you know some of my personal favorites the heart seeking bow uh, is is such a fun one and then the the twin fists also the one where you just pummel people that was uh, with that weapon that was the first time I was able to advance to the the third level of hell which is uh, Elysium but uh, yeah you you briefly brought up some of the like abilities you can pick up like sometimes you'll you'll talk with different uh, to different gods and they'll give you boosts but uh, you know the divine dash is absolutely one of my favorite boosts to get <laughs> now I know you've played enough Hades to know when you're telling me that divine dash is great then I know you know what you're talking about <laughs> yes it is by far the most universally useful thing in that game yeah um there is uh, the the farthest I've gotten to this point is I made it to the end of Elysium where you face Theseus and Asterius. I haven't gotten past them yet. Um, and that was my biggest roadblock in the game. That I think I was there. I couldn't get past them for, for like a dozen tries from the first time I got there. Um, I think that's just Elysium is just the hardest area for me in general. I think those damn shield enemies. Yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> Yeah, and the one of the things that aided me on that specific run was I got like a what's called a strong drink spell, which essentially restores your life to to full health every time you get to a fountain. And it boosts your attack. Yeah. Yeah, by small percentages. But yeah, the game is the game is really fun, and yeah, despite it being um, again a, 
a the concept being repetitive. They do such a good job again with, um, you know, you you encounter different gods on each run. You encounter different, um, you know, abilities to to improve your performance on each run, and the dialogue and the story. Yeah, all it all just continues to progress despite the fact that you feel like you're as you as the character Zagreus, you you keep running into a brick wall. And I need to emphasize, and I'm going to try not to spoil anything, because I know you haven't beaten it. Um, there are so many things to unlock. Like, you've probably got, you know, at the start of a run, I've got called trinkets, maybe, how there's like a there's like a shelf, and you can choose like a, what trinket to start with, and that gives you different boosts at the start. Yeah, the one that I've been using the most is the one that gives you essentially like 125 coins to begin each run. Um, but then I've also been switching that half like sometimes during your runs you get to see a one of those chests and switch halfway through and if i get if, if i encounter one of those i'll often switch to one that uh, i think i got from the three-headed dog where you get uh, added health mm-hmm. um yeah there's so many of those and uh, there's just so many things in this game and i i hope that are listening to this that might not have played the game probably just it sounds like we're rambling to them but there's just so many things in this game to talk about and there's not nearly enough time to talk about them but every god every time you beat a room where the reward is a boon that's a gift from a god and depending on the icon on it that is what god is which god is giving you the boon and you get you pick one of a list of three uh, randomly given abilities and it, it was so fun so the main aspect of this game that I want to talk about besides the, how it handled um, its permadeath structure was it is a weirdly universal appealing game uh, the group chat I'm in which is full of people that we both know um, I think there's like 8 or 9 of us in that group chat and Usually there's not more than, like, maybe three of us playing the same game at once. Every single one of us, for a solid, like, two months, just non-stop Hades talk. The, the name of the group chat was the Hades Mentality for a solid two months. <laughs> um, we were, at the end of the game, when you beat Hades, you it shows you what boons you have and all this, the things you've collected, all your stats on that run. And it became this ritual of whenever you beat the game, you're taking a screenshot and you're sending it to the group chat of what your what your loadout was at the end. Um, I've never had any game. Animal Crossing comes closest, and even then, this lasted longer for most of the people that group chat than Animal Crossing did. But everyone was playing it. Everyone was talking about it. Um, everyone was debating. Okay, well, whose boons do you like? Was Poseidon? What? Uh, just all kinds of, there was a heated debate about Zeus not being that great. Zeus's are some of the best. Um. <laughs> Interesting, because, yeah, from what little I've experienced, my impression was that Zeus was not that great, but. And, and it all depends, too. Have you gotten all six of the weapons yet? Yes, the the most recent thing I've done prior to recording this podcast is uh, I have essentially unlocked the weapon boost so you can reveal um, and and spend like the vials of blood you've gotten from getting out of Tartarus, I believe. 
you can spend those vials on weapon upgrades. So that's that's where I'm at in the game at the moment. Okay, so at some point, I don't remember exactly when, you unlock different aspects. So it's like each weapon has four different aspects, and they change properties of the weapon, and the fourth aspect of every weapon might as well just be a completely different weapon. It's still like, you know, the gun is still a gun, and the spear is still a spear, but it completely changes everything. Um, it, the, which boons are best on which weapon also depends on which aspect. There's this bow that's easily my favorite weapon in the whole game. When you hit an enemy with your normal attack, it then has like a target reticle on it. And then when you press special, all of your specials just target that enemy. So like all four of your shots will automatically home in on that enemy. But then you couple that, if you get the Daedalus hammer, where you get four more special shots, and then you start upgrading your special, you get the Zeus special where it just creates bolts of lightning every time you hit with your special. <laughs> so if they're getting hit by like eight or ten shots and then a bolt of lightning is coming down for every single one of them. And then I had uh, an aspect, or I think it was a, a chaos boon, where every success, every time I hit an enemy with... Uh, with a special shot in a row, it, it upped the damage of the next one. I ripped through Hades' second form in like 15 seconds. It was just done. <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, it's so satisfying because when you have all the different trinkets that you can start with, uh, you can really start building your run from the get-go. Like, if you give those uh, ambrosia things to each god, they'll give you a trinket so it's like you can guarantee one god will be in that run so if I want to make sure I encounter Poseidon I can put the Poseidon thing on and I'm guaranteed to have Poseidon stuff that run so you can really start doing it before you even go into the, the run um, so when things go the way you want them to it's extremely satisfying but then when the game just gives you bad luck or bad RNG and you're scrambling to make the best of it that you can and you're still destroying stuff, it's even more satisfying. It's yeah, uh, it's incredibly good. Yeah, I mean, just all of the... Um, just think about the, the amount of possibilities are endless just based on what you described. I'm sure, you know, a lot of people that have played through the game never came up with that unique combination that you were just talking about. Um, and, you know, there's also the element of in, in Sagrius's bedroom, there's a reflection window, and uh, that allows you to upgrade as well because you, pick, you can pick up these purple gems on your runs and come back and, and give yourself boosts there. Like I, for instance, just added my second death defiance. So you die, but then you just get like half your life back whenever you die. Uh, so yeah, there's there's so many neat little things and all of the, the RPG elements I've really enjoyed thus far. And one other thing I definitely want to make sure I address, and hey, if you're listening with kids in the room, put them to bed, baby. Uh, <laughs> the horny energy this game exudes is very good. Uh, <laughs> 
there's a lot of thirst in this game. Um, but it's not done in like an over-the-top gratuitous way. It's not like there's any like there's nothing explicit explicit, but there's just a lot of like every character in this game wants to get it with another character and it's great. Uh, like my, I think maybe my favorite character in the whole game is Dusa, that floating yes. uh, Sahad, and she has like a valley girl voice. And yeah, she has a crush on Zephyrus. It's great. It's never not funny. Yeah, she's just, um, she appears so incredibly nervous on each encounter. Yeah. And then she, when you try talking to her, she just flies, she floats <laughs> up into the rafters every time. Yes. Uh, the, that aspect of the game, I feel like, isn't talked about enough, because when you get far enough in and you get enough of the drinks that you can give them, you can, like, really, really max out these relationships and get so much optional dialogue. And it's almost like a Greek god dating simulator at times, on top of this really good action game. Um, yeah, I, I could not get it. I was most excited. Uh, I was more excited to advance Achilles' side plot than I was to advance the main plot. I wanted to reunite Achilles with Patroclus, and I went out of my way to do it, and it was great. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... It's it's uh, it's it's really fantastic. I was uh, you know given that I haven't really enjoyed too many games of this ilk in the past, I was skeptical, but I, I figured I would give it a shot. Given that you and yes, uh, pretty much everyone else I know that plays video games has has enjoyed it and was raving about it. But uh, yeah, I've been uh, I've been very impressed and yeah, I've put in uh, a good number of hours. In, uh, in recent times. Was, was, was there anything else about Hades you wanted to discuss before we, we move on to the next one on my list? I think that's about it. We were pretty damn thorough. Yes, uh, deservedly so for that game. Um, and, I, I, again, we're, we're not ranking any of these, but I assume that would be pretty high up on, on your year-end list. Yeah. Uh, that's like a number three or four. Okay, so... Um, the, the the next game for me I have and I know this is a game that we both uh, we, we both played and beat and that is Spider-Man Miles Morales again one of the uh, the three sequels that I beat uh, this year um, uh, but uh, one of the first things that was was absolutely fantastic about the experience was you know given since the the original Spider-Man game which came out what in like 2017 or i'm trying 18, to think, I think yeah. okay um but since that game into the spider-verse came out the movie mm-hmm. and uh they they incorporated that into this miles morales game you can get into the uh spider-verse suit you can add like the visual effects where you actually um the when when you're attacking people you see pow written on the screen just like the movie um, and, and you can also make it so that the, uh, I'm trying to come up with the term for, um, it's, it's like a, it's like a filter almost. Yeah. Like the frame rate. That's what I was going for. The, yes. The frame rate is like cut in half for your character. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, they, they had a lot of, of really cool stuff as I know we're both huge fans of the movie. That was, that was really fun right off the bat. Um, and they've, they've done some nice little updates and modifications to the first game. They, um, the side quests are accessed through a phone app that your friend Genki makes. 
Uh, you could also, instead of just listening to music, it, uh, you can listen to podcasts now. Uh, but, but yeah, um, aside from, before we get into the, the gameplay elements, I, I just thought, uh, just from a visual perspective, from the ability to access the menu and stuff, they, there's, there's a more advanced skill tree in this game. They, they did a lot of neat things to improve on the, the first installment. Yeah, and for me, the biggest thing they improved was just cutting two-thirds of it out. <laughs> that first game was way too long. Yeah. Um, I say that as someone that really liked the first game, uh, for the most part. Uh, yeah, this came in, this is like, I don't know, I think it's like a 8 to 10 hour main story, probably like 12 to 14 to 100% or something. And that's like literally the, my perfect length for a game like this, and I wish more big-budget games did this. Um, yeah, so besides the, the length, yeah, the combat just felt better to me. Um, again, I like the first Spider-Man game, but the combat felt too, I don't know, loose and floaty in a way a lot of the time. Um, it never felt like I was like, I was the dude with the proportionate strength of a spider punching dudes that don't have the proportionate strength of a spider. <laughs> right. Um, and while that is still mostly the case here, the fact that you have like the venom moves where you like use your your electricity and stuff to finish them just felt a lot better. Because um, yeah, Spider-Man is supposed. I understand. Hey, comic nerds, I know some of you listen. I understand that Spider-Man is supposedly holding back like 90% of his strength when he's fighting normal dudes. I still want to get a glimpse of it. And yeah, this gave a better job of giving me a glimpse of that than the first game. Um, I do like, too, that the gadgets in the first game, there was like a whole like eight of them or something, and this was like three or four. That was nice. Uh, I understand. Some people probably don't like these things that I'm saying, but I just prefer a leaner game all around. Um, honestly, okay, the biggest thing, and I'm glad I checked my notes real quick, because I might have overlooked this. The biggest thing they fixed, actually, not the length, that they got rid of the gross like police fetishization of the first game, like the Spider-Cop. Now, I didn't mind Spider-Cop from a humor perspective. I, I think that was fine, like, yeah, Peter's a dork, whatever. He's not funny, but he's funny, whatever. But the first game was so up the police's butt. <laughs> like, I, hey, I know that your politics and mine agree. I don't know about anyone listening. I don't know how far into this you want to get. The politics of the first Spider-Man game, I did not like. Did not like the police fetishization. So I'm glad they got rid of that in this. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much of that was a response to real world events or people's complaints about it and how much that was always the plan. I don't, did you play the DLC of the first game? I did, yes. So I think it was the last DLC, um, like your main cop buddy, Yuri. Um, she goes kind of rogue, and the implication is that, like, you're not friendly with the police anymore because, like, she's out for revenge. It's been a while since I played the DLC, but that's what I remember. Um, so maybe that was just always the plan. Um, on 
Conversely, my biggest disappointment with this game is that you know it was very nice seeing a Black Lives Matter mural. That was, a, and that was it was cool that it was like a side quest reward. Um, and you know the, when the people in the neighborhood are talking about how this is our Spider-Man, that was very like that actually was powerful to me. Yeah, I say that as a, as a white man, like it, it it hit for me. I guess I don't know how it hit other people. Um, so that was that was all good. I want to make sure. Reiterate that was good stuff. Right. I did not like. I think it's about like a third of the way through the game where that whole bridge scene happens and Miles saves all the people on the bridge, and then the cops are gonna shoot and kill him, and like people are like. Telling the cops, hey, he saved everyone. And the only reason he escapes is because he turns invisible or whatever. Like, that is clearly, they're wanting to say something. And I think what they're wanting to say is good. Or wanting to criticize is good. But then they never do anything with it. Like, oh, yeah. gets away from being murdered by the police in front of everyone. We never talk about it again. Yeah, never follow up on it, right. Yeah, it, it's like they, again, love the Black Lives Matter mural. I can't think of any other big game that's had something like that. And especially, you know, the past horrible year that was 2020, it felt good. Like, that felt genuine and good. So that just makes the absence of them having any bite to their bark when it comes to police brutality sting even more. Because um, it feels like someone there wanted to say something, and maybe they're like, eh, we can't upset horrible racists. Let's pull back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's, it's interesting to, you know, um, I don't have enough of an extensive knowledge of video games in general uh, to, to know, you know, how many games have gone down that route to, to really, you know, make a statement. But, uh, yeah, you're right that, you know, if, if you go to the lengths of, right, showing Black Lives Matter, which, again, great thing, um, right, you'd like to see them maybe go a step beyond that, especially when you've got, as you said, a 12-hour story that you're weaving in. Like, it's not that hard. It wouldn't be that hard to have something be followed up on. Right, and you have a captive audience of tens of millions of people that are buying it on PS4 and PS5. What better time to actually make a statement than for a launch game of a super hyped new console? Yeah. Again, millions of people are going to be playing it on. Again, and I don't want to harp on it too much because it is a good game, and I genuinely do feel like their hearts are in the right place. It just that is. Literally, the only negative I have here, besides the combat still feeling kind of floaty, is yeah, they just did not follow up on things that they clearly wanted to. But I don't want to harp on it too much, because I also understand people probably don't want to hear us talk about that, even though yeah, maybe you should. But Yeah. As far as the the combat, to me, is not the, the reason I play these games. I, I think the most enjoyable aspects are, for one, the story, but then gameplay-wise, it's the swinging around the city has always been fun, and I thought that was really fun in the first game as well. Uh, and then, you know, also the stealth elements. 
Uh, I felt like the stealth stuff was even better in this game, especially you've got the camouflage skill that Miles possesses. Uh, and, you know, you, you, go, you go to these um, bunkers where you fight the, or you battle it out with the underground, and, you know, tackling an entire bunker without getting caught was one of the more satisfying things I got to experience in a video game this year. Yeah, and I do want to emphasize, I, I meant to say this earlier, I am a diehard Spider-Man nerd. Like, I love Spider-Man. I've seen all the movies. I've read every issue of Amazing Spider-Man from... Uh, well, my dad had all these Marvel Masterworks, which were uh, hardcover collections of comics, so I read every Amazing Spider-Man from, like, 1 through 50, and then, like, 100 through 400-something. Um, I've read most of Ultimate Spider-Man. Uh... I say all this, yeah, it's funny, the first, the 2018 game came out months before Spider-Verse, because before Spider-Verse, the game was my favorite interpretation of Spider-Man ever, and that's saying a lot, I thought, yeah, when I'm saying that, like, the writing in a big-budget AAA open-world game is good, that's saying something, because I think most of them suck. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, to see that continued, and I'm glad we didn't have to wait. Because I'm sure, you know, they're making a Spider-Man 2 um, that we'll see in a few years. I'm so glad we got this, like, little slice of, like, hey, you don't have to wait a whole, like, four or five years to get more of this. We know you're excited. Um, I also think I've always been one who thinks that high school and college-aged Peter is the most interesting Peter, not, like, adult Peter. Yeah. And we didn't get to really see that in this game's universe of getting that through miles just further emphasize like yeah this is way more interesting than i don't peter i just want more of this thank you exactly yeah the um the the other couple of things you know beyond just the main story the all the side quests i already brought up that you have the app to access crimes and do little uh, side missions but then you know, there's there was a couple near the end that are that were really standout stuff for me, like the um, your uncle Aaron having you piece together various sounds from the city to make a uh, a beat was 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 quite fun. And then also the right at the end, you have this birthday treasure hunt with uh, um, the Miles's dad's audio recordings. Was I thought was a was a real sweet way to to conclude the story. Yeah, the way, like, and I, I regret that I don't know the voice actor's name for Miles, but the way, like, he delivered, like, when he realizes it's his dad, dad's recorded voice, that, that hit me, like, in a weird, I just was not expecting the way he goes, like, oh, it, it's dad. Yeah. Uh, very, very, very sweet, very good. Um, speaking of side quests, I would be remiss if I didn't mention um, that the cat, that's also named Spider-Man? Yes. That you can unlock the costume where he hangs out in your backpack, and then your finisher move incorporates Spider-Man the cat helping you. Jeans. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, and yeah, just uh, swinging around, and you just see a cat's head sticking out of the backpack is, is quite... And, and even... Yeah, even if you don't do that side quest to get that specific outfit, there are, there are other side quests. There might even be a mainline quest where you have to rescue a cat. And yeah, it just 
even if you're upside down, the cat will just poke his head out of the backpack and, like, look around. Uh, oh, I did, I meant to mention this earlier, too. Uh, Miles' animations while swinging, just, just so good. Yeah. Just, he's so much more um, inexperienced than Peter, but he has so much more enthusiasm because he's so new to the experience. Uh, so much fun. Just a lot, a lot of fun. I can't imagine how much fun it would be to be the animators making that and trying to come up with how do we characterize this person, this younger person, through his web swing? Well, you make him more rambunctious and over the top. Really, really good. Yeah. So I, um, I uh, want to bring up a, a couple of the issues that I had with it. Um, mm-hmm. Firstly, the I had consistent issue, issues with the audio throughout the game. Uh, I had to turn on the subtitles because a lot of the dialogue in like walk and talk sequences and a few of the cutscenes just didn't come through at all, um, which, you know, detracted from the story some. And, uh, you know, also with a lot of those cutscenes, they're trying to, uh, you know, they not only have the audio of the, the dialogue, but the soundtrack in the background, they're trying to swell up some emotions and that sort of thing. And some of that just went right over my head because of the, uh, the, the problems but that was that was one one and then the the other issue and I think we had we had talked about this previously but the mods uh, you know you get a couple of visor mods and you get a couple of suit mods and you you continue to unlock various new ones but I pretty much had the four that I used unlocked within the first hour of playing and never went away from them uh, because like there's one that was a auto camouflage if you get spotted which is which was great to continue to have a stealth opportunity and then there was also a perfect sight which increased the window for perfect dodging Uh, and then as far as the suit mods there was uh, an unbreakable mod which decreased damage from melee attacks by 25 percent and then there was another one that called induction mesh which generated a small amount of health every time you were hit uh um, by venom stunned enemies so those those four i'm pr- pretty sure i unlocked fairly early on and, and never went away from yeah i did have some of the same audio issues and yeah i remember talking to you about that i don't think i had nearly as many as you did but i was also playing on a ps4 pro and i think you were playing on a base ps4 yeah um worth noting it's also on ps5 and i don't know how it performs there either um I had this one, and I remember telling you about this, I had this glitch where I saved my game and quit in, I think it was a side mission where, oh, it might have been when you finished the Prowler side quest, or, well, spoilers, Uncle Heron is the Prowler. I think it was maybe when I finished that and you unlock a suit. I was like, okay, cool, I'm done for the night. I saved and quit. The next night I turned it on, I couldn't, I could jump, but I couldn't swing. It was like, even when I left the interior environment it still thought I was in an interior environment and it wouldn't let me swing oh yeah uh, it, I mean it was kind of funny I fixed it just by fast traveling to somewhere and then it, yeah it registered that I wasn't in there anymore but yeah it, I did have issues like that and definitely more than I did in the first game which is a shame because yeah the first game is literally three times as long and I didn't encounter nearly that many issues um yeah, frankly, I do remember with the, the suit mods and stuff, yeah, I had a similar thing where I don't even know if I ever went to go look at them again, honestly. Um, 
I couldn't even tell you which ones I had. But I did have the one where, yeah, you get health regenerated from venom enemies or whatever. But, yeah, I couldn't even tell you what I had, which kind of gets back to my point. The combat is just kind of there. It doesn't feel great or even really good most of the time. It's functional. Yeah. Um, maybe I'd change my mind if I played on a harder difficulty, but I don't really want to play a game that doesn't have really good combat on a harder difficulty for no reason. Right. As far as the... You you brought up a glitch that you experienced. One that I had was I went on, like, a side quest where you have... And you see on the map in the game where you have, like, a circle for an area where enemies are. And uh, I, I went and literally defeated all of the enemies. And this typically when you complete an area, that circle goes away and allows you to move on. But I experienced a glitch where I beat all the enemies and for whatever reason, the game just didn't recognize that I had. So I literally couldn't leave without abandoning the mission and having to do it again. I had the exact same thing happen and it was one of those more in-depth side quests that have cutscenes and stuff and I had to rewatch all the cutscenes. So oh yeah. I about that, but I did have that. <laughs> But yeah, all in all, I, I uh, really enjoyed it. It wouldn't be in my top few games that I played, but I, I certainly had a, had a real fun time with, uh, with Spider-Man Miles Morales. So, uh, Matt, why don't you tell us what, uh, what game is next on your list? I've got Animal Crossing New Horizons. Okay, I mean, yeah, a game I've heard you uh, talk about plenty, but uh, I, uh, I haven't played any of the Animal Crossing games, but they seem just like a, an absolute delight. Yeah, and, you know, it's hard. I, my very, the fiber of my very being is connected to Animal Crossing in a way. A lot of the first friends I ever made online were, was because of Animal Crossing on GameCube more almost 20 years ago, which makes me... Oh, boy. Uh, See, I wasn't even aware. I wasn't even aware Animal Crossing went that far back. It actually was on the N64 originally, but only in Japan. Um... The GameCube game that came out was like a remaster of sorts of the N64 original. So yeah, it's been around since like, yeah, maybe 2000, 2001 or something like that. Um, and yeah, I mean, I'd be remiss also if I didn't mention yeah, I, me meeting my fiance that lives in Germany and is the reason I am Skyping with you from Germany right now was facilitated partially through Animal Crossing. It's her favorite series of all time, her favorite game of all time. Um, so you have that aspect of it where, yeah, Animal Crossing has been a huge part of my life 20 years, and then you also have the year that was 2020 and the fact that Animal Crossing came out like literally like a week right after COVID really started hitting the U.S. So it's this... Animal Crossing to me can no longer exist without that context. Like, Animal Crossing would have been undoubtedly in my top 10 fair games this year, regardless. But it is so unshakably a part of the DNA of 2020 now that I, you cannot talk about 2020 in video games without Animal Crossing. Because, yeah, it, it, it became how we socialized. Um, that those first couple of weeks of, of COVID really flaring up, um, like, in, a, in a, again, in our Hades, aforementioned Hades group chat, it was, back then it was an Animal Crossing group chat, and it was 
we literally get texts like, hey, I've got my island open, come on over, I've got shooting stars, which if someone has shooting stars, you can get, you can wish on the stars. I won't go too far into it, but <laughs> it's a good thing to have shooting stars. It's like, oh, and then you get eight people just hanging out, doing nothing, wishing on stars and goofing off in Animal Crossing. Um, a friend of ours, uh, Stu, he had a buddy that did his birthday celebration in Animal Crossing. He had it, well, he, Stu showed me pictures. It was crazy. The dude had, like, events lined up. He had he created a, a hedge maze. He created, like, a runway to do, like, a fashion show. And he had to, like, there were themes that you were doing fashion shows with. There were prizes. He did all this shit. Facilitated through Animal Crossing. It's crazy. Um, more than that, it, it was really uh, heartwarming to me because, you know, video games are my main, I, I hesitate to say uh, escape, but they are my main hobby. And when I was a teenager, when Animal Crossing came out, the GameCube one, Part of the reason why that game means so much to me is because uh, I was playing it when I moved from Wisconsin to Ohio. And, you know, moving 500 miles away when you are 13 or 14 is maybe the worst possible time to move away from every single person you know. Um, Animal Crossing was what it did. I'd get home from school and like, all right, I'm firing up Animal Crossing. So to then have this weird switcheroo where my my personal life is better than it's ever been in terms of my relationships and my, my uh, happiness. But then to have this, <laughs> this dichotomy where the world is just... <laughs> on, fi- on fire, yeah. <laughs> on fi- I was going to say on fire, but that, that's putting it lightly. The world is just... <laughs> already burned down and then we're just throwing some acid on top of it and so to have that and it was like everyone else was experiencing Animal Crossing the way I did when I was 13 years old and it made me feel like I could relate to people more like when I went back to work well when I went to work before I got put on furlough um like, 70% of the people there were also playing Animal Crossing, and they're mostly middle-aged moms. I've never heard talk about games, and all of a sudden they're asking me, how do you, how do you get a King Salmon in Animal Crossing? Um, it was the coolest thing. It, aside from the fact that I think COVID maybe helped Joe Biden win the election, that's the best part about COVID. Uh, the way... I was able to interact with the world through Animal Crossing. This is the second best thing for me about COVID. Uh, this isn't a downplay. I understand that what has happened is a tragedy and hundreds of thousands of dead Americans and without getting into the whole world. It's horrible. I don't want to make light of that. This is me literally looking to the tiniest sliver of light. And yeah, it, it helped me get through the year. And it helped me relate to people in a way I haven't been able to mostly do with strangers in a long time. Uh, 
Yeah, that's a it's a it's a it's a beautiful sentiment and and you know, putting on my optimistic hat as well. I think that's one of the beautiful things about games or sports or, you know, just any entertainment medium in general is that uh, and you'll have people downplay and say, oh, it's just a game or it's just some silly thing that, you know, but it's more than that to a lot of people. And obviously, you know, games are more than that, more than that to you. It helped you in a transition and early in life, uh, moving and, and um, you know, feeling a sense of connection with other human beings. And it's also helped you find your person. <laughs> and uh Obviously, with with basketball and stuff and, and sports business classroom, I've been able to get like a sense of community as well with, with a bunch of people that I didn't know beforehand. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and, and I'm, I'm glad that, uh, and, and hopefully that if, if anybody is actually listening to, to this podcast an hour and 40 some minutes in, uh, you know that um, they they also appreciate the power of of games or the power of of these mediums to to connect people. And it is worth mentioning that regardless of twenty twenty, it is the best Animal Crossing game. Like looking at it from just from the gameplay point of view, it improved on so much. And I won't go too super far into it because I know you don't have a lot to say about Animal Crossing. And it this, honestly, we've talked longer than I thought we were going to already, anyway. <laughs> uh, but the way they improved on everything, like in the old games, if you... So the original Animal Crossing, you really only decorated your house, and then you could plant flowers and trees. That was about it. It wasn't until, like, three games down the line that you could actually decorate, like, your actual town the way you wanted to. And even then, it was pretty limited. You just pay to plant, like, oh, I want a swing set here, I want a carousel here, or whatever. It was pretty expensive, you couldn't do a whole lot of them. It's pretty limited. And in this game, they're just like, yeah, whatever, do whatever you want. Like, any piece of furniture that you find in the game, you can just put it on the ground in your town, and you can just... It, it's really, really nice. Um, I hadn't played a whole lot the past few months, or really since probably fall, and all of a sudden, the other day, I just got the inspiration to make a giant wrestling arena on the top of a mountain run by lawn gnomes in my town, and that's what I've been doing for four days, and it's been fun, and it's been a nice creative outlet, and it's it's just a really good game. I'd say it's like the de facto non-violent video game. I can't think of one that's more relaxing. It's, it's just cute and good. Yeah, um, and, you know, again, as you said, I don't know much. I haven't played Animal Crossing, but what I do know uh, and from, from listening to you over the years talk about the, the various versions is that it, it seemingly is a game where you can, you can invest as much or as little time as you want into it, and it's rewarding either way. You know, you can really... Uh, you can really dive in and, and try to create, like, a whole town if you want... Um, or you can just like every day go in and spend 15, 20 minutes, see if there's a new item that's available for that day only and, and get it. So it's, it's neat in that respect that uh, it allows, depending on what type of gamer that you happen to be, I think uh, it can appeal to, to all different types. Uh, so let's move on then to, to my next game and, and we don't have to talk about this one much and I, I honestly don't have much to say about it but uh, the 
The Last of Us Part Two uh, is the is the next game on my list. This is a game I don't believe you have played this yet. Am I correct? Um, but you do know. I think you do know the the story and everything. And this game had some truly remarkable highs outside of just you know it's a beautiful, gorgeous looking game. Um, it had some had some great highs with the story. The whole flashback scene with with Joel taking Ellie to the museum for her birthday. Uh, it was a beautiful moment. Uh, you have uh, an opening scene where you're introduced to the character Abby getting chased by a horde of zombies. That's like That was just absolutely exhilarating. And, you know, I, I thought the upgrades to the gameplay from, from the original were all, were all welcome additions. Uh, they had a more sophisticated sort of skill tree. They added new zombies that you hadn't encountered in the first one. My, my personal favorite were, were these zombies uh, called Stalkers that essentially, like, uh, they're almost hunting you and they're kind of hiding till you um, get in an area where they can just lunge out and grab you. So I, um, I appreciate what they did and, and, you know, Naughty Dog, the creators, they, um, they certainly had an ambitious concept with, uh, you know, you spend a good chunk of this game, spoiler alert, playing as, uh, as Abby, the person that kills Joel a couple of hours into the story. But it, it helps you, you know, being in her shoes and, and playing for, you know, uh, 10 to 15 hours on, on her storyline and learning her background and, and what motivates her and, and what led her to seek revenge it all fosters a, a feeling of, of empathy towards her. And, and I think as far as that's concerned, again, we speak to what, what is the power of video games and actually having the audience be active in a role makes it so much more powerful than, say, if you're just passively experiencing her story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, the reason I played it is because I do, again, I don't want to upset anyone. I like the first game. It is still like an 8 out of 10. That still means it's pretty dang good. But I, yeah, I never thought it was quite the masterpiece that most people made it out to be. I was excited for this one. It was the timing. It was COVID. It was everything. Just turned me off of playing. That's the main reason I didn't get around to playing it this past year. On top of the fact that then it was, look, I, I somehow avoided all spoilers for the last Harry Potter book, all spoilers for Avengers Endgame. <laughs> when I want to avoid spoilers, it's pretty easy. I could not escape the story spoilers for Last of Us 2, and I wasn't actively looking for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I knew that happened, like, I think probably, probably within a couple of days of the game coming out. And it just, yeah, it sapped my energy. Um, I mean, I, I mean, you did give a spoiler alert. Um, and we don't need to go super in depth into spoilers or whatever, but it just—I don't. It feels, from what I have heard, it feels like the game is like a, pet, a tad too long for what it is. Yes. Um, and it's just—you know—we we know. The game is trying to say, hey, revenge is bad. 
You know what game also said that this year that was really damn good was Born in the Will of the Wisps. Yes. That, to me, was a better way of just commenting on the endless cycle of violence and revenge and how pointless it all is. Um, I just, it gets exhausting. You know, I like extreme violence when it's played in a comical manner, like Mortal Kombat is silly. I, I can't take much of it too seriously, even if it makes me it, it makes me cringe a little bit sometimes. Uh, or Hotline Miami. Um, but like, I don't want to gratuitously like beat a dog's head open and like, watch it. You know what I mean? Right. Um, like, I get what you're saying, and I get what you're doing, and I. It makes me feel bad for the people that had to animate this. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's it's not that I don't respect the work and the artistry and good God does that game look absolutely incredible. Um, it just it just was too much for me to try and deal with this year, uh, especially knowing where the story ends up, and especially knowing that for a game that seems so hell bent on commenting on you know the cycle of violence and revenge it doesn't seem like it actually has much to say about it besides that it's bad right yeah the um the pacing is a huge issue because you basically play the first i don't know you play the first couple of hours as ellie and then you get a brief glimpse playing uh, playing as abby but then you're back to ellie and you're playing for first 10 to 15 hours you're playing as Ellie and you're building up her weapons and her skill set and all of that thing to the point where you're you know you're loaded <laughs> you know you uh, um, your gear is at insane levels you can accomplish anything and then you go back to the start and now you're Abby and all of her stuff is at level one so you almost feel like you're starting the game over again and then you have to play the next 10 hours building Abby up I would have much preferred, and I think it would have been much more effective, you know, more often going back and forth, say, two hours of Ellie, then two hours of Abby, and building up their weaponry, their skills, at the same time. It's like a season of a show with one character, another season with another, and then you come back for the finale, and it's just... Now, granted, it's not quite that bad, because you're not waiting years in between, but yeah, I don't want to reach this dramatic point with Ellie and then flip back to another character and have to do another 10, 15 hours of that. Right. And, um, and I'm glad you brought up the idea that there being a finale, because after the 10 hours of each character, you, um, you finally then meet up and that's like the two thirds point of the game. You still have a whole final segment with Ellie, where she's again, you you brought up the revenge is bad, where she just like in all game, you're just over and over thinking, gosh, does she have to continue to keep like just being super stubborn about you know having one sole focus of revenge, 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 and they've already nailed that message and hammered it over your head a dozen times, and then the last third of the game is just doing it again. And it, it felt very tacked on. It felt very much almost like an epilogue as opposed to a, a proper conclusion. 
Well, and my issue too, and I know we talked about this, um, you know, the big thing of like, yeah, she wants to kill Abby, even though that's definitely not the morally right thing to do. You know, in the first game, the whole thing of Joel doesn't want them to kill Ellie, even though if they kill her and dissect her, they could theoretically make a cure or whatever. Right. Like, agree or disagree with him, with Joel's decision, you can at least understand both sides of it. Like, yeah, Joel's a horrible person and he does horrible things, and maybe he made the wrong choice, but you can at least see why he would make that choice. Literally the only reason Ellie has to continue to pursue Abby, especially after in the last chunk of the game, not the previous chunk of the game, is just to do it. Yeah. It's just, you have a life, and you say, I want to go kill this person. I don't know, I don't want to go kill her. Yeah, her and Dina and their baby are on a farm and seemingly happy, and then she has a post-traumatic stress sort of like attack and then that makes her feel like I need to you know go and do more violence which could cause increased PTSD uh, it's yeah the the logic of that whole final sequence and uh, the last third of the game is, is is pretty terrible and yeah I personally was not rooting for Ellie in that climactic fight against Abby yeah, and honestly, having read a lot of people's opinions and things, I can't think of, I don't know if I saw anyone that was rooting for Ellie, which, I mean, again, I think, yeah, I don't think they want you to actually root for Ellie, but then it's just like, well, what is, what is the point of all of this then? Yeah. You're not saying anything, you just look at how bad we made our character behave, <laughs> and you can't do anything about it. Yeah. Um... As much as we're complaining about the story, I still was, uh, you know, it's still impressive what they attempted to do. And, you know, the gameplay-wise, I still found it very tense and scary at times. And then also, you know, they, they give you these moments of, of, of light where you get to just, um, you know, peruse a city and explore and, um, you know, even collecting you know, upgrades and, and bullets and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And just finding that, that, that is really fun in, in and of itself. Uh, so, yeah, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it, despite the fact that, yeah, just from a narrative perspective, I certainly had, had a few issues with it, to say the least. Yeah, and, you know, with the first game, when I think back on my time with that first game, again, I say it's an 8 out of 10, I beat the whole game in, like, a single weekend. I don't do that with minigames, period. Um, when I look back on my time with the first game, I'm not thinking about, like, that big moment where Joel murders a whole hospital of people and takes Ellie away and blah, blah, blah. I think of when I'm... There's this town... I, I specifically remember how it looks. There's, like, a windy road, and there's houses all over it. I just remember walking around and looting these houses and like reading journal entries I could hear dogs barking in the distance um, I think of uh, crashing through a hotel floor and landing in the basement and there's like the giant uh, very fat zombies that like shoot out stuff all over the place that the gameplay is good in yeah. these games I'm not, I'm not saying that they're fantastic but yeah I 
it is satisfying to move and shoot because of the weight of your character in those games. Um, I like the gameplay of them more than the Uncharted games, which Naughty Dog is also known for. Um, I wish there was more of it. I wish... I don't know. I, I, I wouldn't mind if they made a game with similar concepts, gameplay concepts and design, and just maybe not so heavy-handed on the messaging, and maybe even just less of a story focus in general. Right. Yeah, it's... um. It's one of those games, not only because the story in itself is like over 30 hours or close to 30 hours, so I put a ton of time into the game, but just even the the feelings that it emotes. You know, when I was done playing, I ended up just watching a ton of, of videos and commentary on it. And one of the videos, uh, if anyone's interested on YouTube, it's a it's a YouTube channel called Like Stories of Old, but he, he does like uh, philosophy type videos, but he goes into depth about the empathy and, and feeling empathy for a character that perhaps did something that you disliked at first. And so that, that was a pretty interesting video, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, you know, not the, not the greatest game I've ever played by a long shot, but, uh, certainly was, uh, was a, was a memorable game and, and, and something I won't forget about for, for quite some time. But, uh, yeah, I believe we're down to your, final game of, of at least your five and then we've still got a few honorable mentions let's hear let's yeah. hear what you have uh, as your uh, next game yeah and this is my favorite game of the year with a bullet not even close it's a spelunky 2 oh yes yeah yeah oh yes um anyone that knows me which I guess will be none of your listeners uh but anyone that knows me knows that I have just been for the past about decade of just non-stop beating the drum of Spelunky HD is the best video game ever made. Um, I still... I stand by that to a certain extent. I am still parsing through my feelings with Spelunky 2 fully. I do think it's a better game overall than Spelunky HD, even if it loses some of its simplicity, but the things you gain by dropping some of that simplicity is um, astounding. It's... I have never ever ever felt so satisfied with the discoveries I was making in a video game than Spelunky 2 and for people who don't know what Spelunky is it's another one of those roguelikes that we were talking about earlier like Hades where when you die you die and you start back over um, Spelunky is you just ex- it's kind of like Indiana Jones you're exploring these caves and they're cursed so like when you die you just start back at the beginning your character isn't dead and then the whole thing resets the level layout is different the items are different everything is randomized um yeah my initial concern when i started or rather my initial concern when spelunky 2 was announced was that it was just going to be spelunky hd with just more items which still would have been cool in theory but it ended up just being so much more than that um I guess the best way I can describe this game is uh, someone tweeted at Derek Yu, who's the creator of Spelunky, and they told him that he spent dozens of hours trying to beat Spelunky HD, and he never could, and he's not sold in Spelunky 2, and asked Derek Yu to give him a reason to buy Spelunky 2. First of all, on top of the fact, ignoring the fact that that's just a rude thing to ask, the creator of the game. <laughs> um, Derek 
response really recontextualize how I viewed the game. Because I was disappointed with Spelunky 2 at first, but Derek, you said don't view it as a game that you have to beat. Just view it as a fun toy box with a bunch of goofy rule sets that you discover and have fun. And that that doesn't change anything about what the game is or how it plays, but it just that mindset change changed everything for me. In my Game of the Year uh, write-up, I've written... Spelunky was the first write-up I did, because it's Spelunky. I eventually compared it to Breath of the Wild, Zelda Breath of the Wild, in terms of how it just has all these intricate rules and everything in the world has to obey the same rules that you do and just all these different tools that you're given. And I'm sure some people hear a Breath of the Wild comparison and are just thinking that I'm extremely hyperbolic or um, pretentious or both. And maybe, maybe I am, but I don't think so. It's, you know, it took me like dozens of hours before I figured out there was a clone gun in the game and it does exactly what it sounds. You, You clone items or objects or people or dogs or whatever you want to clone. What purpose does it serve? Nothing really except just to wow you. Um, I mean, there's functions for it. You can clone three dogs and then get like four health in one go, which is pretty rare. Or you can clone a shotgun and then if you're playing multiplayer, you both can have shotguns. Um, That's a bad idea, by the way. You're definitely going to die that way. But um, I have never played a game where like I'd be in bed at night like I would get home from work play Spelunky for like two or three hours and I'd be like okay I have to go to bed I have work in the morning and I'd just be sitting there and everything would be running through my head to the point where like, I was looking up the wiki on my phone not trying to spoil myself but just to understand the lore to understand what was going on um the most satisfying secret discovery I've ever encountered in a game. I mean, the secret discovery in Spelunky 1 was pretty good too, but this is just on a whole other level because there's multiple paths. Like, yeah, Games Dracula's Castle is like step three of like an eight-step process in reaching the real ending of the game. Um, yeah, I know, um, just to give people a sense of when you say you... Uh, have sort of changed your mind on this game. I remember talking to you and essentially you were saying that, you know, you had put 60 plus hours into it and you still didn't fully have a grasp over how you felt about the game. Um, that's that's how much time and uh, how how in-depth Spelunky 2 seemingly is that, you know, there's there's so much to get through. There's and again, similar to, to Hades with that type of game, there's, you know, each experience is, is so unique. And uh, yeah, I imagine that changing of mindset where, right, the goal isn't to, to beat it. The goal essentially is to enjoy the journey uh, and, the, and learning all of the, the new tricks and, and the new items that are involved. I, I imagine that would make it so much more fun. discovered Dracula's castle Uh, I had no idea it was in the game I had no idea how I even got to it Uh, I had no idea what what triggered it to exist 
I just stumbled my way into this cave and this organ music started playing. And I was like, what the hell is this? And then you emerge from the floor and you're just in this blood red castle. There's vampires hanging from the ceilings. There's a spike pit and all these coffins on the side. And it was... I was shaking and sweating. <laughs> I was like, what is... Where am I and where am I going in this game? There's nothing else like Spelunky. I've never played anything else like it. It's like it looks like a platformer. And I, I don't even think I'd consider it that. It's like it's like a decision-making simulator, but dressed up like a platformer. It's so bizarre. I'm sure people that are still listening think this sounds absolutely crazy. <laughs> I love this game. It's Spelunky HD was my game of the decade, last decade. Still in the contender for best game of all time. Pretty damn good start. If its sequel is also my game of this new decade. Because it very well may be. We're pretty early on, but I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I have I have a little experience playing the the original game, and yeah, that game is you know, and as I'm sure Spelunky Two is as well, very chaotic at times, and uh, um, you know, very fast paced, and and yes, there's some platforming elements to it, uh, but uh, yeah, it's it's one of those that, and and I am. As far as, you know, my preference for games, I do enjoy the games that are just very satisfying purely from a gameplay perspective. This fits that to a T. Yeah, and I feel bad because I feel like this and Bug Fables were the games I really wanted to come in and represent the most. I feel like I'm doing a bad job of both of these. Um, Well, I'm not helping since I haven't played either. (laughs) Well, that's fine. Um, It's just... These are the two that I really wanted to hammer home of like, yo, if you're going to play any games on here that you haven't played, it should be these two. Um, it's, Spelunky is just so hard for me to even explain what is good about it without going in depth. I could literally talk about Spelunky for hours. Uh, I have. You can ask my fiance. Um, I... Yeah, I guess I should just stop rambling at this point because I don't think I'm going to do that great of a job except to say the soundtrack is also fantastic. Um, much like Ori, where in my head, the first Ori looks exactly like the second Ori. In my head, Spelunky 2 looked just like Spelunky HD. It does not. It is incredible how much better looking it looks. Um, yeah, I guess the only other thing I want to say about Spelunky is Spelunky 1 and 2 are coming to the Switch this summer, and everyone should play them because you want to play these on a portable. It's, I played 300 hours of Spelunky HD on my Vita. I bought a Vita specifically for that. It was worth it. Yeah, um, well, in, in 10 years' time when we do a uh, Games of the Decade podcast for the 2020s, you can uh, reiterate <laughs> everything that you love about, uh, about Spelunky 2. But uh, no, I, I think you did a, a good job of, of describing what's what's great about it. Um, so let's move on to the, the last one I had out of my five, and that is Captain Subasa: Rise of New Champions. And uh, this was a game that, that uh, you kind of alerted me about, as you do with a lot of the games that I play. Um, and uh, it's essentially an anime soccer game 
with uh, an incredible story, incredible dialogue, and really goofy, fun sort of gameplay. There are two single-player story modes. Uh, the first, uh, the first story mode is episode one, just called Subasa, and you essentially are a uh, a middle school uh, soccer prodigy named Subasa Ozaro. And uh, you play as him and his team, which is uh, Ninkatsu Middle School. There, He's an eighth grader. And they're trying to win the Japanese national tournament for the third consecutive time. Uh, and they, the game does such a good job of developing the characters for not only the, the players that, that you are and the, and the team that you're rooting for, but also they develop the opponents uh, and they really build them up. One of the one of the teams that you play has these two guys called the Tachibana Twins, and they uh, each each player or each uh, opponent uh, that you face have these special moves that you've got to deal with. And the Tachibana Twins have a move called the Skylab Hurricane, where uh, one of them does a handstand, and then the other one jumps off of the feet of the guy doing the handstand to uh, perform a header. There's a lot of really goofy stuff like that throughout. Um, but then uh, the second story mode, which is called New Hero, is where you create a custom player, and you can choose what position that player plays and what they look like, and and uh, you can build up their statistics to whatever you want. and. Uh, that custom player then joins the Japanese national team and they attempt to win uh, the international tournament in America. And uh, you can create different friendships with, uh, with players on your own team and so on other teams. And you can, uh, if you build up those relationships to a high enough level, you can learn skills from them that help make your custom player unique. Um, but uh, one of my favorite, again, going back to the sort of goofy gameplay that you experience, uh, one of the games you take on Argentina, and there's this midfielder named Juan Diaz, where he has a, a special move called the Miraculous Overhead Shot, where he does a cartwheel, then a backhand spring, a backflip, and then he hits the ball with his heel towards the goal. Uh, just incredible goofy fun there's a when you play Italy they have a goalkeeper that has a golden right hand he literally just saves the ball with one hand and uh, they all have these backstories he the the goalkeeper hasn't allowed a goal in over a year uh, just a just a bunch of really goofy goofy fun stuff but uh, yeah I uh, I had a, had a great time with this game yeah uh it's a shame that this is the game that I have the least to say about because I I did play the demo recently. I didn't realize there was a demo on Switch um, because I feel like this is the game that you probably want to talk about the most, much the same way I wanted to talk about Spelunky the most. Um, the one thing I'll say from playing the demo, uh, if these are middle schoolers, what are they doing? Because there was this dude I was playing against that was like eight feet tall. Um, <laughs> Yes. There, there are people built like mountains. Yes, he literally was like three heads taller than my character. <laughs> um, all I can really say about this is that I love sports anime. Um, I know I, we talked a bit briefly about like Yuri on Ice, 
and the ice skating anime, which I know that's not, we won't get into if ice skating is a sport or not, because we've done that before. <laughs> um, but you have seen Queen's Gambit, and Queen's Gambit is literally just a chess anime, except it's not animated. Right. Um, if you like Queen's Gambit, you would like Yuri on Ice, you would like Haikyuu, You'd probably like Captain Tsubas from what little I know about it. You as in the, the listener would like the game and maybe the anime too. I don't know anything about the anime. Um, yeah, sports anime is like a particular breed of just so goofy, especially when you're familiar with the sport because the way the ways in which the author finds opportunities to make things ridiculous is just so satisfying and good um yeah it's funny you know having seen Shaolin soccer it's very easy to parody soccer <laughs> I don't know what it is about soccer but yeah it's it's very good I love the animations that I saw in the demo for Captain Tsubasa uh what little I played the demo was it was satisfying I'm not I haven't played a sports game in probably nearly 20 years really so I wasn't used to just the controls in general and passing and blah 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 it all seemed good from a gameplay perspective I know I'm sure you'll have stuff to say more about specifically gameplay stuff um, it's just fun it's a fun license to make a game of like a 70s anime that I'd never even heard of like, yeah let's just make a big budget soccer anime game great let's do that more often actually yeah um yeah i i i I think the gameplay is solid i i wouldn't go as far as to say it's great or exceptional in Mm -hmm. in any respect but i almost feel like the story and the dialogue and the build-up enhances the gameplay because you get so pumped so jacked about um the the matchup or you know what your characters are trying to accomplish that it that it makes you so excited to actually play it um, the, uh, the, the couple of issues I had with the gameplay, part of it was I felt like the cameras were too zoomed in. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's partially intentional because they want it to feel like, you know, despite the fact that soccer is an 11 on 11 sport, they want this to feel more like one-on-one showdowns a lot of times. Um, but the, the, the other thing that was, was frustrating is defensively, uh, I couldn't find a setting where you could turn off auto switching, which uh, which which can be annoying with sports games. Yes, I did not like that, and I agree with both of those things from like the half hour of the demo I played. I couldn't. Yes, those are two very dangerous things in combination with each other. The zoomed in camera and the auto switching was very disorienting at times. Yes, um, but yeah, I would I would very much recommend this, and I would urge anyone that plays it to. To be patient and, and read all of the dialogue, really just like, you know, go into it for the story as opposed to trying to skip ahead to get to the game action. I think that um, really in concert is how this game works so well. Um, all right, well, yeah, let's uh, let's get to uh, the, the honorable mentions. Uh, you've already mentioned two of my three, so I only have one, but let's hear your first honorable mention. So first, I'll make this quick. I wanted to just mention a couple games I wasn't able to play this year, or in 2020 that I wanted to. 
Um, yeah. Demon Souls on PS5. It's hard enough to get PS5 in America. I'm in Germany. It is literally impossible. <laughs> yeah. Um, the biggest one for me was Yakuza Like a Dragon, which is basically Yakuza 7. Um, again, when I moved, didn't bring a PS4. We can't find a PS5. Uh, our PC isn't good enough to run it. That's the game I'm most excited to get to from 2020 that I couldn't this year. Uh, 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which is some kind of strategy game across the visual novel that, from what little I've heard of it, is supposed to have like the most unique storytelling mechanisms in a game ever. It's supposed to be incredible. I've heard nothing but amazing things. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, and then Spiritfarer, which I've watched my fiance play a little bit of it. It is basically like a coping with death simulator but you're like a cute kid on a boat and the people dying are like these animal people that you're meeting in the afterlife um, yeah I think I saw this on one of the um, the Nintendo Nindy Directs yeah uh, it, it, it looked really it looked really interesting yes I, it had been on my radar for a while I still want to play it I thought it was going to be like a 10 hour game it's apparently like a 30 hour game I just haven't had time okay. that was just the game that I wanted to play yeah <laughs> So, honorable mentions, real quick, um, Monster Hunter World Iceborne, that is on my actual Game of the Year write-up list, or will be. I didn't include it here for a couple of reasons, mostly just because I didn't have much to say about it, but Monster Hunter World is amazing. This is a fantastic expansion for anyone that played Monster Hunter World. Um, Risk of Rain 2, which I had on my Game of the Year list in 2019. It was in early access at the time. It is in 1.0 now. It went from being a game I really, really liked to this is one of my favorite co-op games of all time now. It's just extremely good. If you want something to play with friends online, it is about the best I think you can do. Um, Sakuna of Rice and Ruin. I've played like 10 to 15 hours of this. It's extremely good. It's like a 2D action side-scroller crossed with a super in-depth rice farming simulator because you're, you're a goddess and your parents one of them is the like the god of war and the other is like the god of harvest so like you can fight things and also grow rice real good uh, <laughs> it is really really awesome and I that's maybe the game that I really wish I'd played more of in the past year um, part time UFO which is a super goofy cute thing where you are a UFO and you just pick things up and move them and you help people and it's very just silly uh, it will probably be on my game of the year list it is one of the most fun co-op things I've ever played if you like stuff like snipper clips and heave ho and that kind of stuff not quite as complicated as those games uh, but I really like the aesthetic a lot lastly Umaranji Generation which I believe is coming to Switch soon um, I just haven't played enough of it yet but it's like a post-apocalyptic um, photo game. Like, you're a photographer. You, you get lists at the sort of every level, and you're supposed to take pictures. It's like a very low-polygon aesthetic, so it looks like a Sega like Dreamcast game, kind of. But the appeal of it is you're supposed to explore the environment to find these things to take pictures of, but you're also figuring out what happened to the world as you do, because the game has no explicit storytelling. Um, 
I've only played a few levels and it is really, really neat so far. Um, the soundtrack is amazing and I think that's all. I think that's everything for me. Yeah, that's awesome. When I uh, when when we're finished recording, I'll go back and, and and jot these down. And when we when I tweet out this episode, I'll uh, I'll be sure to include all the games that we uh, we discussed, whether for for a, a long time or just briefly here. But uh, I, I lied earlier. I actually have two uh, honorable mentions that we haven't discussed, and and I also cheated because neither of them are technically twenty twenty games, but they were games that I they were games that I played in twenty twenty. Uh, so there's that. Um, but the first one is Return of the Obra Dinn. Uh, this is a, a mystery sort of puzzle game based in the early 1800s. You, uh, you as the player, assume the role of an insurance inspector for the East India Company, and you're asked to board uh, the ship called the Obra Dinn and determine what happened to the, the passengers and the crew on board. Uh, you only get to hear like audio of the various instance, incidents as well as like still imagery to decipher not only who was on board but how they died and who or what was responsible. Uh, but uh, and the, it's also neat. It's almost um, a memento type thing where the events are shown to you in reverse chronological order to make it even more challenging to decipher or figure out. Um, uh, but also the visuals are, are, are kind of neat. They're, they're all black and white. They're in like a one-bit style. Uh, and uh, the, other, the other thing that makes it even more challenging that you can't kind of luck your way through it is uh, it makes you figure out three, um, three of the people and what happened to them to, uh, to cement anything as concrete. You know, you can't just luck in and guess one because uh, you know the, the game just won't allow it. So that was that was great. And then also uh, Sayonara Wild Hearts uh, was a, was a game that I that I played. It, it, it was one of those where it was just a one night thing. I played and beat it in one night, but it was really enjoyable. It's kind of a uh, you, you've played it as well. you'd probably be better at describing it, but it's narrated by Queen Latifah. It's got a very a vibrant sort of color scheme, and it's got you know you're almost playing the game to a to a pop soundtrack. But uh, there there are a couple of levels in there. One in particular where it's it's called Parallel Universes, where you're you're chasing two people on a motorcycle, and the the um, the road ahead of you is changing based on which person is snapping their fingers or whether they're touching hands. And, uh, you know, the obstacles go from being right in front of you to then a different obstacle is on a different part of the road. And it's, uh, it, it was really fun. It's just a game that's a good combination of gameplay with, uh, with music incorporated. Yeah, I would, yeah, Overden, fantastic. Anyone that wants a good detective game, I think that and Hypnospace Outlaw are the two best detective games I've ever played. They're out of this world good. Um. And yeah, Sayonara Wild Hearts, yeah, it's, I almost describe it more as, it's almost like a visualizer, an interactive visualizer for a pop album. Like it's, you are just, a, you're like, yeah, there's scores and you can get high scores and do challenges and whatever, but if you just want to sit there and enjoy the music and barely pass the level, yeah, you can easily do that. And it's still a fun, if, as long as you like the music, it's the most important part. If you're into the music, you're probably going to like the whole yeah, um, 
Yeah, again, not uh, not an extensive game. I think there's like 15 levels or maybe not even that. But uh, and again, I probably beat it in in a couple of hours. But yeah, just a just a fun time. And yeah, I'm glad you brought up uh, Hypnospace Outlaw. That was another game that, uh, due to your recommendation, it being at the top of your list last year, that uh, uh, was a game that I have uh, I've probably put a good 15 hours into that at this point, and that's been really enjoyable. I got to get back to that as well. But uh, Matt, this was uh, this was this was a blast having you on Duncan Dynasty for the first time. I, I appreciate you you coming on, and uh, yeah, we'll have to maybe make a, a tradition out of this. This was this was enjoyable. Yes, and we made much more thorough of a job of it than I was expecting. I was expecting to. For those who don't know, my phone, my note app in my iPhone is just, it's a, it is a novel. We hit on most of the things that I wanted to hit on, so we, we went for it. Yeah, I had, I had eight pages of notes myself, so uh, yeah, I, I knew this was going to be a, a longer one, but uh, again, thanks, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Duncan Dynasty. Please, if you can, if you have a moment, go to iTunes and uh, give us a rating and review, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give any thoughts about what you like about the show, that would be much appreciated. We are also on Spotify, so uh, you can give us a rating on there as well. If you'd like to find some other content outside of this podcast, you can find me on Twitter, at Garrett Bougay, that's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. I will be uh, tweeting various uh, NBA thoughts as well as some some thoughts on some other uh, interests of mine, including soccer and film and television. So uh, if you're looking for some of my takes throughout the the course of the week, you can find me there. You can find my co-host, Corbin Ford, on Twitter at CorbinNBA. That's C-O-R-B-A-N-N-B-A. So uh, he uh, he does does a good job on Twitter as well. He's very active. I'm also doing uh, some work as a contributor for Rip City Project, which uh, does all things Blazers. So if you're looking for some written content, you can check those websites out. Corbin also does his own pod on the side called NBA Today. Uh, he, uh, he does some, some fun work over there, so, so please, I encourage you to check that out. But uh, thanks so much again for, for listening, and have a great rest of your day.